0: The desire to talk to God, to be in relationship with Him, is in every human heart. But we're not always sure how to do that. Even the apostles struggled with this one, and they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Join us today as we talk about the nature of prayer, how we are to pray, and how we can overcome struggles in our prayer with our special guest, Father Boniface Hicks. Father Boniface is the co-author of the new book, Personal Prayer, A Guide to Receiving the Father's Love. I'm Father Dave Pavanka, President of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka, President of Franciscan University of Steubenville, and we're talking today about personal prayer and the Father's love. I'm joined with our panelists, Dr. Regis Martin. Nice to have you back, Doctor. A systematic theology professor here at Franciscan University, as well as Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon, Professor of Biblical Theology in the New Evangelization. Welcome back, Father Doctor. You're not a father, are you?
1: Yes, of six, but not ordained. <laughs> you know, okay,
0: just want to be clear on that, all right? Uh, we're really excited about welcoming our guest today. Father Boniface Hicks is a Benedictine, a convert to both Christianity and Catholicism during his undergraduate years at Penn State University. Father, Benef- father Boniface, it's a pleasure to have you here. Maybe just a little word or two about yourself and what inspired you to do this book?
2: Thanks, it's such a joy to, to be with all of you. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a convert to the faith and a Benedictine at St. Vincent Arch Abbey in La Trobe. I've been also doing a lot of ministry in spiritual direction, including with the co-author of this book, Father Thomas Acklin, who really formed me in spiritual direction and has been a co-author also on a previous book about spiritual direction. And what we find in giving spiritual direction is that everybody needs help with prayer. Mm-hmm. And so we try to bring some of the insights from working with a lot of souls about, how we can really
3: grow in the Father's love through personal prayer. How do uh, two people write one book? (laughs) Uh, Who who does the typing? Simon and Garfunkel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really have to say,
2: as I read the book, I lose track of who wrote what. We we collaborated, Father Tom did a lot of speaking, I did a lot of note taking, I I transformed into text. He also wrote text. melded things together. Right. We yeah. sort of created a big mass of
0: stuff and then organized right. it and yeah. really massaged it. It's wonderfully
3: seamless, um, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: No, it's really a beautiful book. And, and just the, one of the things I appreciated, just how very natural it was and, and very human. So I appreciated that. What about just the process of writing it for you and how you pray? How did, how did you go about that and really seeking the Lord and being faithful to you praying as you did this? Well, I have to say that even the project
2: itself came out of prayer. I was reflecting and then came to Father Tom in Direction at one point, and I said, "Uh, I think we should write a book. And he said, "Uh, okay, what about? I said, well, actually, I think we should write two books, one on spiritual direction and one on prayer. And this really flowed out of that process, sharing that with him. And then it we wrote it over the course of a couple of years and we really didn't want to say anything that was just a, the- a theological or a th- an abstract right. concept or a, some kind of idea that we were spinning out but really to make sure that we were actually doing these things believing in these things seeing these things in people so really I wanna, bore
1: that out i want to thank you for that too because it's not atheological it's very well grounded in theology i mean you're explicit and clear about Garrigou-Lagrange, Tanqueray, Francis de Sales, obviously, the doctors, the mystics, but the, um, the clarity of this and the practicality of it uh, puts it in a separate class than the three ages by Garrigou-Lagrange and other classics. And so I found this to be exciting. You also do something that isn't very well known, and that is prayer is not just this supernatural relationship to Appa, but it is something utterly natural. You know, mm. you cite... Tacitus, who explains the greatness of the Roman Empire, not in terms of the emperors or the armies, but the temples, the places of prayer. You know, to pray is to be human. You know, to to pray to Abba is to be divinized. But to not pray is personal and cultural suffocation.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It was really beautiful just the how natural and relatable, accessible yeah. it was, which and it's a big book. So when I first started, like, <laughs> how are we going to go? Right. Well, how about we just, why do we pray? Why is prayer important? Why is it necessary? Why should the viewers pray? Well, uh, prayer is really about our relationship with God. And uh, ultimately,
2: as the foundation of our being, everything is about our relationship with God. But prayer makes it explicit. And one of the things we w- wanted to bring out in the book is that Prayer is not something, I think we often think of it as this other activity that we have to move into this other place and kind of do this thing and then we go about our normal life, but really it's it's woven through our life. It brings, us, it brings out our humanity, it fulfills our humanity. Prayer is, is relational and we have a relationship with God, not just a series of, of rituals that we go through, but uh, prayer is really the, the path to, to holiness, entering into a relationship with God that is that transforms our whole life,
3: that takes up our whole life and and raises it to another level. I I think what what Scott was stressing uh, needs to be revisited, that prayer is perfectly human, natural. Uh, It's a constitutive dimension of what it means to be human, to be alive, to be fully aware of being. And those who don't pray are sort of subhuman. They're to be pitied. It's a kind of aberration. You're not well if you don't make the effort to touch base with God, with the ground of being. What I'm struck by is how you manage to pull a pull it off. I mean, a book about prayer when your master, Saint Benedict, prescribes four to six hours of prayer a day. I mean, was this sort of the natural flow uh, from a life of prayer, the obvious fruit?
2: I like to think so. Absolutely, <laughs> it's uh, certainly something that uh, I've been investing my life in for the last. Uh, 20 years, and Father Tom Acklin has been investing the last uh, 40-some years of his life in really living a life of prayer. And as as Saint Benedict prescribes, again, not so certainly prescribed times of prayer, uh, but a key verse in the rule of Saint Benedict, we know that the Divine Presence is everywhere with us, and we should be especially aware of that as we are praying the Opus Dei, as we are doing the work of God. And so he has a a prioritizing and ordering but the time gathered in the Liturgy of the Hours, the time gathered in the Mass, is meant to overflow into the rest of the day. But well,
3: when he says four to six hours, he's really talking about Lectio Divina, so that includes time to read, to meditate, to think about this. And, and what really impresses me about the book is not just the scholarship, it's theologically sound, but the warmth, the passion, <laughs> uh, your heart uh, is in
1: this book, and, and that's, that's sort of exciting. You know, the relational emphasis is part of what makes it so practical and so personal. Um, But you point out something that really struck me, and that is uh, uh, the most fundamental relationship we have as human beings is with God, you know? And, And that is so true. I mean, in the sense that God created our soul out of nothing. God has fashioned us as persons in his image and likeness. God has made us for love and communion. Now, obviously, that's first in being, although it's sometimes last in our knowing or our discovery, you know. But it, 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 it's, a, it's a call and a challenge because, you know, if you were to kind of spy on your parents and you discovered they never spoke to each other, you'd get worried, you know, because <laughs> that kind of conversation, I mean, it doesn't have to be a date, you know, something deliberate and uh, protracted, but, I mean, that kind of conversation that flows out of a living relationship is something so fundamental, and yet, at the same time, it's daunting because we're not God, and sometimes we don't really feel close to Him or that He's distant from us, and, you know, you, you cite um, uh, St. Therese, who sees Mary Magdalene as the model, you know, in her brokenness, and Mm. and at the same time, a kind of humble boldness, Mm. you know. And it's helpful for me to recall, I think it was Elizabeth of the Trinity, you know, the vast abyss of our own nothingness. Mm. That's the best place to start in prayer. It's like I'm not ready to pray, I'm not good at praying, you know, it's hard, I'm distracted, and yet this relationship is the source of my being. It's the goal of my existence, so, neglecting it just because of my weakness is such a stupid thing. And and he not only recognizes my weakness, but he welcomes it. It's like mm-hmm. his I mean, favorite sacrifice. Yeah, the fact that
3: you have nothing to offer a God perfectly qualifies exactly. you yeah. for the yeah. conversation <laughs> but, because he wants to give you what you don't have. Yeah. If you're filled with yourself, he can't really reach
0: you. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things he did beautifully was, was dealing head on with the difficulties of prayer. You talked about distraction. You speak about that, that the distractions God can actually speak, in that God can actually. So maybe just talk a little bit about the things or the stumbling blocks that individuals who are trying to pray, that everybody is going to experience. How do you overcome some of that?
2: One of the central themes that we try to reiterate over and over again, it's come out here a little bit already, but the prayer is relational in prayer, is human. And sometimes we have the idea that we're supposed to shed our humanity and become like angels when we enter into prayer and be distraction-free and our emotions are supposed to be all ordered in our minds, uh, perfectly right. focused on God. Like a God machine. And right. like a, well, really like a machine, that's right. Like an angel or like a machine. That's a sort right. of interesting contrast. But, but really, we bring our humanity into our prayer. And as uh, Dr. Han just said, the, the Lord doesn't expect us to be angels he loves us in our humanity and Mm -hmm. i think the image that saint therese also uses of the the little child and the way that little infants little children warm our hearts spontaneously Mm -hmm. that it's not we don't expect them to act in ordered ways like adults and compared to god the father we're always like little children yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it doesn't disqualifies us it qualifies us and it's precisely what he wants us to bring into prayer If we're willing to
0: really expose that to him. One of our friars that you'll know, Father Augustine Dunnigan, told me when I was a student, going to him for spiritual direction, complaining about my distractions. And he said to me, I have the perfect way to make sure you never get distracted in prayer again. (laughs) I'm going to pay attention to this, right? (laughs) And he said, Stop praying and then you'll never be distracted in prayer again. It's like, but, 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 but I think that's in essence what you're saying, is that right. we're not doing something wrong because we're being distracted, and and the Lord can actually use that. That's right. right. And And a beautiful thing is simply to
2: show Him our distractions. I've had so many experiences in prayer where I suddenly realize i am like a little fidgety child looking all over the place and then i realize there he is in the blessed sacrament and with a kind of sheepish grin you know i just show him right. the poverty of my humanity and let him love me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that sort of vulnerable self-disclosure yeah. not just of my perfect thoughts and my excellent right. ideas and my but really, of the poverty of my humanity, to show him how much and, I need. And his you
3: life. don't have to spend a lot of time telling him, talking about it. You know, endlessly. I mean, that must be pretty boring for God. <laughs> I mean, the example that Saint John Vianney gives, which you cite in your book, uh, the old wise man who tells him, "I look at him; he looks at me, and we don't talk very much, but a kind of companionable silence." Well, that's that's impressive. And.
2: It's in that silence. Ultimately, we do run out of words, and uh, whether it's uh, moving into the, the dark night as those dimensions of purification come up, or just experiencing the silence of God, which has a way of drawing things from the depths of us, or simply because our hearts are so full we can't express it in words. Silence comes
0: into prayer in a number of different ways that are very important to understand. But you also speak of silence being uncomfortable. You know, that makes us nervous. So maybe just yeah. speak to that, that, yeah. that fear that we have at times of silence.
2: Why, well, I imagine even in this setting, if we were to fall into silence, all of us would suddenly become uncomfortable. It and doesn't make it for a good show. Into, that's right. The, into, the producers
3: would burst in. <laughs>
1: well, you know, it's funny because when We Are One Body radio got started, I remember hearing all of the discussions about how we're going to go through the breeder, we're going to go through the scripture readings, but we're also going to have times of silence. And I'm thinking, dead air is the only mortal sin in radio programming, you know? And so, I thought, well, this is dead on arrival, you know? I listen to it all the time. It's the only station I listen to. And the silence in the car after the readings, and you're often doing those readings, it's like, this takes radio to a whole new level. But it also reminds us that silence is sort of like God just gently approaching us and you know, I also think of Origen, you know, because I fight distraction all the time, sometimes temptation. And I think it was Origen who said that, you know, Israel was to conquer the Promised Land, but the Canaanites, the seven peoples of Canaan, where it had to be conquered first. And so, we go through the seven deadly sins, you know, and how when temptations attack us or distractions, you know, it's our opportunity to slay, you know, and to conquer. And it really is a, the form of holy war, that reminds us that most soldiers aren't like wide awake and raring to go, they're beleaguered, sometimes even battered, but they keep fighting. Well, there's something altogether salutary uh, about silence.
3: I Mm. I think of Max Picard, that wonderful book, The World of Silence, Mm. in which he says, when two people come together to speak, there is a third person, and his name is Silence. Mm. And
0: maybe just to speak, just the, the silence, there's a difference between silence and not speaking. Maybe you can speak to that, 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 yeah. Well, silence can have very much a a fullness to it, a a, a
2: live air instead of a dead air, Mm -hmm. as it were, and uh, it's different than simply uh, not making any noise, and they go hand in hand. It's, we have to stop speaking in order order to enter into silence, Mm -hmm. but then silence can be a really rich environment. Uh, I heard a, a Nice image for silence that it's like the hot water to a tea bag. It has a way of drawing out from within us the various flavors of our of our hearts and often exposing things that we like and that we
0: don't like and that makes this part of the the discomfort that can come also from silence right, and I think we live in a world that is so busy and so much noise that seems to me it takes practice to get there, right? To be able to be silent takes practice.
2: Yeah, the more that we practice in prayer and have extended times of prayer, it's one of the things we emphasize in the book and it's so necessary. You, you don't develop a prayer life by having just a minute here and a minute there. We need a, an extended period
0: of time to allow those things to develop in the heart. Amen, amen. And we've talked much about prayer and there's more to speak about, so join us and Franciscan University Presents continues.
2: The way that I like to approach prayer is like a sewing pattern. So the Church has given us lots of different ways to pray, the Rosary, Lectio Divina, the Mass, personal prayer, journaling, all these things are very good things. Um, But if we're doing the same thing every day, I know that I get kind of bored and might not be really finding the fruits that God wants me to find. Um, So I think it's very important that we follow the Holy Spirit's direction in using all these different things that we've been given. Um, but we can make like a different dress or different clothes each day um, in the way that he's been inspiring us to use these patterns the church has given us.
4: What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? A place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs, leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word. It's a discovery.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about personal prayer and the Father's love. Uh, Father Boniface, again, just a blessing to have you with us. You mentioned in the last segment uh, about being vulnerable to the Lord. And again, we've, we've done spiritual direction. That's a word that a lot of people struggle with. What does what that actually, concretely, what does that look like to be vulnerable to God?
2: Well, to speak about Uh, vulnerability in the context of relationship, first of all. It's necessary for relationships. It's one of the things we try to draw again and again in the book, is when we talk about our relationship with God, it's not a whole different category. It's like human relationships, and what kind of human relationship, what kind of depth is there, what kind of intimacy is there in human relationships without vulnerability? Vulnerability really opens up the most beautiful dimensions of human relationships. And so naturally, we want to bring that into the context of our relationship with God as well, to really open our hearts. Our temptation is to kind of like we do when we're receiving guests into the house, take all of the mess and pile it up in one room and not let it be seen by the guests who are there. And we can really do that with God, hiding all of these aspects of ourselves that we're uncomfortable about, that we're embarrassed about, that we don't think are worthy of Him. And He really wants everything, and He wants us to open our hearts to Him. And so it really means that everything can be brought into our lives of prayer, which, ultimately becomes such a relief as we show him the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we receive only one response, which is
3: always his love. Yeah. Mm. Isn't it uh, ironic that uh, while we're expected to be vulnerable before God, he is infinitely more vulnerable before man. I mean, we can spit in his eye and he doesn't go away. He tries to devise ever more ingenious strategies to win his back. He's gone all the way to the cross. How vulnerable can that be? And really, Jesus shows us
2: that divinity is infinite vulnerability. And so, insofar as we are made in the yeah. image of God, right. it is to become more and more open, self-emptied, exposed, and,
1: yeah. and given. You know, one of the first things I read when I newly converted when I was a teenager was My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Munger. Hmm. And I think it's probably sold tens of millions. It's mm-hmm. done a lot of good. And it really is a kind of invitation to not only enter into the dialogue of prayer, but to allow Christ to enter into your heart and to see your your home, you know. And so, there is this initial conversation and then basically he shows you around, or you show him around all of the rooms of your house, yeah. you know. And, and finally, you know, he, he points at the closet, well, no, we're <laughs> not going to go there. Yet. You know, and, he, and he's patient. He's not going to just say, "Well, I am," you know, and and that uh, that discovery that he really wants every area of our lives, especially the messes, you know, mm. and he's not there to judge us. And when you think about the heart as Christ's home, you know, I'm also reminded of what Christ said about the temple and how it's my Father's house. Mm-hmm. But it's not just my Father's house as opposed to yours. No, pilgrims come precisely to discover who they are as sons and daughters. And, as you see the three stages of the temple, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies, you're like, oh, you're supposed to quake. Well, actually, you're supposed to enter and enter into this conversation. And, you know, it's like vocal prayer, and then meditation, and then contemplation. The whole point of the temple is the templum, the template, you know, to contemplate, mm. to see that he's drawing us in closer and closer. I mean. When I discovered the mystics and Bonaventure, all these guys just assumed that people knew that the temple is central to Israel because it's the model for prayer. It's like, well, duh. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think just to go back to the idea of uh, centrality of it, and and maybe we jumped past this point, but the tagline uh, of your book is, uh, a guide to to receiving the Father's love. All of the stuff that we've been talking about, vulnerability, silence, intimacy, if we don't believe in that, and granted, there's there's this, a relationship in that, but if we don't understand that or believe that, everything you've said is makes it uh, infinitely more difficult. That, that's right. That, that it all has to come to this encounter with the Father's love. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's what we're becoming
2: vulnerable to. And, and that's why it, it has to be a growing trust as we trust that He really loves us, that He loves us unconditionally and infinitely. And He, of course, has taken the initiative in sending His Son, who empties out everything on the cross, who becomes vulnerable first. He becomes totally accessible to us to invite us into that intimate relationship with Him that gives us the chance to open up the interior and
3: to learn how to... Well, the, the way to the Father is not a roundabout way. It's not circuitous. It cuts right through the Son, who comes to us to show us his father our father i mean why else does he invent the our father that prayer and and isn't that a stunning irony uh, these guys don't know how to pray uh, so they ask him the expert yeah. teach us how to, how is it done
1: what's what's the art the method here you know this idea of fatherhood i mean for jesus to teach fishermen and tax collectors to address the god of israel As Abba, Father, our Father who art in heaven. I mean, the high priest in the temple didn't even address God that way. You know, he addressed him as Yahweh, Elohim, Lord God. I mean, I think the term Lord in Hebrew occurs in the Hebrew Bible over 7,000 times, but Father occurs 17 times. And yet, in the Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord's prayer is taught, he calls God Father 17 times in one sermon, and he's just getting started. But you point out on the flip side, to go back to vulnerability, that a lot of people just sort of consign God as Father to the realm of the other people who have a good relationship with their Father. I think you mentioned an uh, an experience of a young lady in a festival of praise Mm -hmm. who suddenly gets this opening, this grace, where suddenly after a horrible relationship with her Father, she realizes that isn't what Father means, you know? I just think that's where vulnerability really comes into play for many people. You know, like, God, I don't have a father that makes me feel safe with you if you're my father. Mm -hmm. So, make up for what I lack, give me what I need. And I mean, it isn't like Jesus saying, well, I'll have to go check with him first, you know. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hmm. It isn't like the Father sent the Son to do all of the dirty work because He didn't want to do it. You know, if you've seen Him on the cross, you've seen the Father's love. Hmm. Well, Father, you have a a lovely image uh, in your
3: book uh, about God leaving His fingerprints upon creation, and then of course he enters mm-hmm. creation. I mean, you can't get much closer than that. But I like that image of, of fingerprints because it suggests that he doesn't stand at a distance. Mm. He doesn't keep us at bay. He's not fastidious. He, he, he's immersed in the muck and the mire, he yeah. couldn't get any closer yeah. than that. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty.
2: That's right, and very much a part of his vulnerability. It's leaving his mark, he's allowing himself to become accessible no. through his creation. He's constantly pressing into it. It's such a, a wonderful remedy. It's really <clears throat> an image from the, from the fathers of the church that's a wonderful remedy to some of the, the modern deistic Tendencies to think that God did some things, spun some things off, and sent it away from Himself. His fingers are really in everything, and those fingers
3: touch lepers. I mean, that's what's hmm. so astounding to hmm. me. He comes that close that he's prepared hmm. even to embrace this leprous other. It's also a good Franciscan theme, I might add. <laughs> <just so you laughs> know, put that out there. Well, you
0: speak in, I think beautifully, and it's one thing I appreciate. But that prayer is a relationship. It's a life. It's not just. But a prayer time is, needs to be a part of the Christian's life. So maybe a word or two about that. How does one establish that? How do you go about having a prayer time? What does that look like, yeah. especially for a busy person? Our life is a little bit different, but what, what does that look like for somebody who is not in a monastery or a friary? Well,
2: I think for, for everybody, uh, certainly we have uh, various forms of prayer, one of which is the Mass. Sunday Mass is uh, prescribed for everybody in normal times, mm-hmm. and uh, is, is something that becomes a kind of cornerstone. People are able to extend that into a daily Mass. But uh, what we talk about especially is also personal prayer time, just one-on-one alone time. and. Uh, think of the, the Adoration Chapel as a kind of ideal and then taking steps away from that to make it possible to, to universalize. Uh, it's a nice Byzantine tradition to have a prayer corner in your house, an icon and a candle, a quiet place, can be a beautiful way of entering into a time of personal prayer, which as I mentioned a little earlier, needs to be more than a couple of minutes. It's great to pray for a couple of minutes. It's great to pray while we're walking, while we're driving, while we're doing other things, but we also need a dedicated period of time. I always encourage people, at least 15 minutes. Father Tom is more unbending. He Mm -hmm. says, for everybody, an hour every day. An I hour said, every day. Yeah. I say, Father Tom, mm-hmm. you know, married people, children. He says, an hour every day. Everybody can do it. We, we find an hour for everything else. Yeah. We oh, can yeah.
1: set aside yeah. that time for God. Yeah. It's something that you can build up to, you mm-hmm. know, that if your goal is an hour every day, that doesn't mean it's hour nothing. You know, I also think of the Han household. I mean, uh, that will never be described by our neighbors as a monastery. (laughs) (laughs) More like a factory, you know. (laughs) But in the midst of the pandemic, you know, our family had two of our sons come back from the seminary. And they kind of taught us to pray in a whole new way, you know, so that for the first time with this imposed jubilee or sabbatical upon the whole whole world practically, um, we're still busy, you know. Um, But at the same time, I've discovered that we have set times for prayer Mm -hmm. to pray the divine office as a family, which we never did before. And, uh, you know, and so the bell rings and we all gather. It might take five or ten minutes to end the tasks. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it really is uh, a way to kind of not only punctuate the day, but give structure to life. And to recognize, you know, that the family is a domestic church. It's always going to be a struggle because everybody's doing their own thing and going their own way and that kind of thing. But there is a sense also in which the the abbey with the abbot as a abba a father is also a family and a model for us to learn from. And mm-hmm. I, I've spent many many years out there at Latrobe and Saint Vincent's, and uh, I I was always feeling like an an observer to the the breviary as you all prayed it, but mm-hmm. uh, it is such a, a talk about silence and peace and beauty, holiness. It's mm-hmm. just well, one of the uh, the right.
3: great uh, and somewhat recent innovations are prayer companions, uh, books like Magnificat, yes. which comes out every month. It's a kind of scaled-down brevi- you know, breviary uh, for busy uh, people living in the domestic uh, uh, ambiance, and yet they can draw upon these riches. There's a tension here, I-, I think. On the one hand, you've got to have a structure. You need to sequester yourself. You need time away uh, from the mob so that you can get recollected and speak directly, intimately to God. But on the other hand, it needs to become so habitual that you're almost unaware of your prayer life. Mm -hmm. That was Saint Anthony of Padua's advice. You, You pray best when you're least aware of praying. I mean, it reminds me of Hopkins, uh, that beautiful poem Mm. to the Blessed Mother, the Blessed Mother compared to the air we breathe. I suspect that was Mary's prayer. I mean, she wasn't really self-consciously, acutely aware every minute of her prayer time. Her whole life was a prayer. It was a kind of atmosphere through which she lived and moved and breathed. That, I think, is the model. Mm. If I can just draw out uh, two
2: things that you said First of all, with the Magnificat and some of these prayer companions. And then my encouragement would just be uh, the kind of Lectio Divina approach. We take a section of the book to talk about Lectio Divina, but the basic structure is some reading and then thinking about it you know. And then addressing something to God, and then entering into some silence. So just to stretch out. Sometimes yeah. we can turn these prayer companions into an intellectual exercise or just right. uh, working our way through it from beginning yeah. to end. And that's not even the worst thing. But but to to stretch that out in that Lectio style, and then to talk about. Um, allowing these things to, to pour out into the, the rest of our lives. Again, I would make the relational analogy. I yeah. think that relationship analogy can be used again and again to understand how prayer works. Uh, two married men here with me who would not have a marriage uh, if you didn't spend time with your wives right. <laughs> and, and dedicated time. But then there's a way that... You know when your wife is in the house and there's an awareness of her presence, there's an awareness of that ongoing love relationship or if there's some rupture there or some tension, you carry that with you into the activities of the day. Right. We do that with relationships. We need to come together to reconcile, to work things through, and then we live in the relationship
0: in an ongoing way. Amen. We'll be right back with more of Franciscan University Presents. Please stay with us. I think
2: my prayer life in the morning has definitely helped out a lot. It's a great way to wake up, start my day. It's a great day to be alive. Thank you, God, for another day of life. Uh, go throughout my day, and whatever I face, I face. And in the evening, I just kind of I recollect what has happened throughout my day. I thank God for it, whether good or bad, and just say, you know, thank you, God, I trust that this is your will, and. Help me get a restful sleep and wake up and start a
4: new day tomorrow. There is a place where education begins and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online.
0: Welcome back and thanks for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, and we're coming to you from the Communication Arts Studio here in the campus of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment, and the members of our theology faculty, Dr. Martin and Dr. Hahn, are guiding our discussion in personal prayer and the Father's love with our guest uh, Benedictine, Father Boniface Hicks. Uh, it's a great blessing to be able to be together, but one of the statements was made earlier just about, Scott, how you were saying your, your families prayed a little bit different as the pandemic was going on. And, and I had people reach out to me saying that that was actually a beautiful time of prayer for them, which is I think part of the grace of the Holy Spirit. So maybe just speak to that on how that the isolation experience drew people together, drew them closer to the Lord, caused them and invited them to pray differently.
2: Well, it certainly has been a whole variety of experiences from talking to different people, uh, but so, some very positive ones. And as Dr. Hahn mentioned, uh, though we can't, uh, though people at home can't participate in the liturgy of the Eucharist in the context of the church building, there's an opportunity to celebrate the Liturgy of the Hours. It really is liturgical prayer, something that the monks do seven times a day in the rule of St. Benedict, uh, but that can also be done at home in the domestic church. And it's really one of the fruits of the Second Vatican Council to translate all of that into the vernacular, that each uh, language group in their own language in understandable ways can pray the Liturgy of the Church. And it's a real joining together with the. The mystical body of Christ. And and I think there's a real opportunity to sanctify the home. Uh, As Dr. Hahn mentioned, the, the temple, the temple of our bodies, but the temple of our families and the temple of our homes, all of that can be really filled with the presence of God. Uh, the, the rosary is indulgenced, especially when it's prayed out loud together. And I think maybe a renewal of the
0: family rosary, these kinds of things take place. Our Holy Father just recently asked us to, to look at that again. Yeah. And just on that, I think you made a beautiful, several beautiful points about the nature of prayer and communion and coming together. And I think that is, in fact, one of the things that people have found difficult in this, this desire to do this prayer together and how important that is for us.
2: Yeah, there's a, certainly something very beautiful about personal prayer, uh, but as we bring out in the book also, the, the times of coming together with the whole Church, in the liturgy, together in the rosary, and taking times to pray together. And it's, a, it's in its own interesting dynamic as we're saying words on the outside, we're following along with the Hail Marys uh, of the, the rosary, for example, or the words of the Liturgy of the Hours and there's uh, a variety of experiences of kind of falling asleep and all of the human elements that we were talking about before that we don't need to be afraid of or try to cover up but then it can really make space for a beautiful inner prayer the the heart of it again is that vulnerability yeah. Yeah. whether it's through the liturgy of the hours or the rosary out loud or just in our hearts the thing is to really expose our hearts in that vulnerability to the Lord. Well,
3: in in some ways, it's a perfectly natural and and obvious uh, transition or segue from pandemic to home, because the home, the family, that's the domestic church, uh, and in a sense, the formal uh, expression of our faith, the public worship, Opus Dei, Mass, Eucharist, all of that uh, has been uh, suspended, and we have to admit that's an impoverishment. That's really unnatural. It's got to get restored at some point. But we've compensated. Uh, we've been forced, I think, to be imaginative, innovative. Mm-hmm. And families coming together to pray, I, I think, is a kind of grace uh, that uh, some of us really treasure. And maybe we're going to miss it mm-hmm. when we go back to a more
1: normal life. Mm-hmm. You know. This transformation has occurred in a way that uh, was sort of unexpected. I mean, when we heard that our sons were gonna come back and finish their semester uh, at home, online, you know, uh, their seminary courses and all of that, I realized, you know, that the family rosary that I always insisted upon and always led and we would share, you know, it worked. And I still pray, and they do too, but what we did was just to kind of adapt, you know, Uh, One size doesn't fit all, and I'm not in any way calling into question the power and the importance of the rosary, especially the family rosary. But I know that my sons came back hoping for greater flexibility, Mm -hmm. And, (laughs) and I had to give it to them. And I said, you know, for now, this is a fratriarchy. Brothers are going to rule. You've come of age, you know. And so, they've been able to choose all kinds of things that have brought about a kind of, it's not just a cafeteria, it really is a banquet feast, and to watch them pray in a holy hour. You know, uh, our Eucharistic chapel is closed, and so I come up on campus to Christ the King Chapel. And, you know, we've been here for 30 years, and it's just such a powerful connection. Mm. And then we gather again for the time of prayer as a family. I I do, uh, we use a lot of holy water now, Hmm. And we've also been doing blessed salt and this sort of thing, you know. Bless anything right now, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And at the end of it all, I I have all the holy water in a baby bottle and I just spray (laughs) the family members and pronounce the blessing and all of that. But in in, in 40 years of marriage and in 37 years of parenting, uh, we've backed ourselves into the most strangely blessed time as a household that I would not have wished upon my enemies, you know. (laughs) One last thing, too, I wanted to mention was the, this, this series called The Chosen uh, with Jonathan Rumi, a devout Catholic who's become a friend. We watched all eight episodes during Holy Week live stream for free. And our kids don't necessarily care for Christian movies but they were smitten by the chosen. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as one of our sons said, it just makes you long to have a friendship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's
3: spellbinding, isn't it? My wife and
1: I discovered
3: it uh, this past week. It's extraordinary, absolutely riveting. I think they did a beautiful job.
0: Father, one of the things that I appreciated and actually was kind of surprised about, you speak about vulnerability and contemplation and meditation and intimacy and beautiful, and then you begin to speak about charismatic prayer. And some people would say, oh, those two things don't go together. And yet I think you do a beautiful job. I rejoiced when I read this chapter that those two things actually do go together. So maybe you could just speak a little bit about that.
2: Just to give a sense of the whole structure of the book, we, we situated the first several chapters to talk about those qualities of prayer, experiences of prayer, in, under the heading of human and relational and those different dynamics, and then the second half of the book is trying to apply that to different exper- expressions of prayer from liturgical prayer to the devotional prayer, the rosary, the Jesus prayer, and then uh, wanted to cl- include a chapter on charismatic prayer because it really does capture those dimensions what's more vulnerable than raising your hands and crying out from your heart or or making uh, noises in the the prayer of tongues and uh, being open to prophecy images and the things that can fill the heart. And I think that there is a natural blending together. Another big theme for the book was about contemplative prayer, that it's a prayer that goes beyond words. Obviously it builds on words, but it goes beyond words to a sense of God's presence, a loving awareness of God's presence. that's been my experience of charismatic prayer as well, that it builds on words spoken spontaneously, and then we sort of run out of words, but we still are praying together or we're praying out loud, and then uh, the, the prayer of tongues starts to emerge that's not stuck in ideas and, and concepts and images, but can really relate
0: with God. And I just love in Romans 8 where it says we don't know how to pray as we should, mm. right? We don't know how to pray, and the Spirit prays through And you're right that my experience was a tremendous vulnerability in, in mm. really uh, surrendering myself to the charisms and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and that speaks to so much of what you'd said about that, about and, the vulnerability before God.
2: And, and in prayer meetings, I really find that the model of Lectio Divina, an ancient model of monastic prayer, we could say, really gets prayed out at large uh, as we have some the text of a song, often scripture, mm-hmm. and then it's meditated on in spontaneous prayer by those who are present, and that moves into an addressing of God in uh, Orazio, and then often moves into uh, even silence, right, right, but right. or uh, an ecstatic prayer, uh, a prayer that goes beyond words and images, mm-hmm. and and then that's often where the the spirit also falls, and maybe a, a word, a prophecy, an image emerges. And mm-hmm. so I think that what's developed very spontaneously and has been a very rich source of renewal in the Catholic Church fits right into some of those traditional forms of prayer.
1: You know, this is an area where I think partisan spirits have entered, you know, to polarize the church. You know, are you traditional or are you charismatic? And the answer is clearly C, both A and B. <laughs> uh, you know, are you traditional, are you liturgical and sacramental, or is it personal? You know, it's not, you know, a choice between the personal and the corporate, between the, you know, the, the contemplative and the liturgical. The, 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 the thing that I enjoy perhaps the most about this book is you you lay a cornerstone with what Garrigou and others have said, and that is the graces of contemplation are meant for all the faithful. What? You mean busy lay people, married folks with you know little kids and all? Yes. You know, not instantly, not easily, but gradually, but truly and fully. And to me, you know, it's it's sort of why as Catholics we're called to be radically charismatic and traditional, or tradismatic, as we say in our home, and Mm -hmm. Trentacostal, it's like there there is no need to politicize or polarize. We're family, and we have different experiences and different personalities and that sort of thing. But, But to me, it isn't just about a kind of detente to bring about ecclesiastical peace for now. It really is internalizing all of the graces, whatever form they take, and to be open. It isn't like I have to be everything but I have to be open to everything God as a father has for his sons and daughters. And that's one of my favorite parts of the book. Uh, Let me make uh, an admission,
3: full disclosure-wise. It should be good. Pay attention. I'm I'm not charismatic. I mean, that's not a a well-guarded secret. Uh, I haven't received the gift of tongues. It's not a skill I've ever perfected. But I think the most deeply charismatic aspect of prayer is the cry of the heart. I mean, Giussani, my great uh, mentor, Mm -hmm. says that the chief protagonist of history is the baker whose arms are Mm -hmm. outstretched, asking God, help me, give me this, give me Mm -hmm. that. I mean, that's why the the, the central prayer of the gospel is the Our Father, a prayer of petition. Bartimaeus is my model. The guy's blind. He's crying out repeatedly to Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus asks him, what do you want? What can I do for you? I want to see. I think that's every man's prayer.
0: But in that, that's so vulnerable. I I love reflecting on that and maybe just go down that for a second that the I want to see... Is a vulnerable stance before the Lord because you put it out there and, and knowing, not knowing what's going to. I want to see, and that's what prayer is, right? It's just putting it out there, making yourself seen, known. You know. I think even to take a step back from that, the question of Jesus mm.
2: solicits that vulnerability. Sure, sure, very good. He could have just presumed, "You want to see? Let well, me heal you." But he says, "What do you want?" And I imagine a very pregnant silence <laughs> as this hope, what do you fearfully yeah, yeah, yeah. expressed, well, would, yeah. dare I even say it, right, right. finally emerges, I want to see what a beautiful expression. You know,
1: I think of that as a dual expression because it's obviously coming from a beggar who's blind. But it's also coming from a bigger who's being transformed into a child. Mm. You know, the most irresistible thing I have experienced as a father is when my children are needy and they beg. Mm. You know, it isn't like, well, you've got the merits. <laughs> it's like I come like rushing, my heart leaps out. You know, and I think you know this to connect it to the the charismatic prayer chapter. You know, uh, people who have the experience of tongues, you know, can easily conclude, well, that's just childish babble. But I think Father would say, "Well, you're a child, yeah, <laughs> you know. So right, if the right, shoe right. fits, exactly. don't, be exactly. just, exactly. don't be too proud right. to don't be too proud babble right. but like I a child." I think that's
0: absolutely right. My yeah. my experience is oftentimes is is we are not comfortable being vulnerable. We are not mm. comfortable in that step, and uh, it is a place where the Lord wants us. Maybe very quickly, Father, because we're we're running out of time. Listening and reading, it's it seems like a danger is to say that there is a cookie cutter, this is how you pray. But in my own life, watching actually my parents as they're now getting older, aren't there seasons of prayer and that Mm. changes and that's that's good and that's human? So maybe just speak to that. Well,
2: and again, if I can make that relational analogy, could we have a cookie cutter relationship? Could we ever say, have an algorithm for relationships (laughs) that we play out step-by-step and aren't there seasons of relationships in Mm -hmm. life? And so I would say in that sense, Obviously, of course there are. As we grow and as we come to know the Lord more, as we relate to Him in different ways through our own experience and the development of our humanity. Yeah, beautiful,
0: different seasons. Yeah, I think of my mom and dad who at maybe, much like your house, when there were six kids running around crazy, their prayer looks different than it does now. <laughs> but prayer was always a part of it. I remember growing up seeing, seeing, and this is, I think, important, seeing mom and dad pray, not just hearing that they prayed, but there was something as a 14-year-old kid who saw
3: a mom and dad who yeah. prayed that is a, a real group. Well, that really impressed Carol Vatiwa as a young yes, boy, yeah. watching his father late at night fall to his knees mm. and pray. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Up next, our panel and our guest will share their final thoughts on prayer. Stay with us. When I started to dive deeper into prayer when I was about in high school, I wanted something to help me to um, guide my thoughts in prayer. So I turned to this little meditation book called Jesus Calling, and then it has daily meditations and the meditations will say stuff like, be not afraid, the Lord is guiding your life, your life is in his hands. And that would just guide the rest of my prayer time and help me to focus on the Lord's word. I was introduced to the rosary at age 11. I was at Vacation Bible School And it was the last day. And one of the teachers gave a talk on the rosary and the power of the rosary. And she encouraged each one of us kids to pray it daily. And I took that to heart. And I thought, wow, that's something I can do. And so I did. And what began to happen in my heart was, as I was reflecting on the mysteries of Jesus, his birth, death, resurrection, I began to fall in love with him. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. So, Regis, if you could give us your final yeah, thoughts. Yeah.
3: Father, what a, it's a beautiful book. Uh, I, I don't know if you mentioned this. I mean, you touch on everything else, so why not? But hands down, the most astounding statement I've ever come across on the subject of prayer, especially the power of prayer, is the prediction that uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori made. Uh, it's it's. Canonized now, codified in the church's catechism. Uh, and that is, if you pray, you are most certainly saved. If you don't pray, you are most certainly damned. And the adverbs, I, I think, are really crucial. Uh, there is a level of certainty here that's almost apodictic. You can take this mm-hmm. to the bank. Mm-hmm. If you don't pray, you're gonna to go to hell. But if you do, you're gonna to go to heaven. That, that's a saving grace, I, I think. <laughs> And and the other uh, comment I'd make, you you don't touch on this, but for me, the most celebrated encounter uh, with Jesus outside of Scripture would be that evening in November in 1654, I think, when Pascal, at the end of his rope, is is somehow met by Jesus in prayer. For so long, he had been looking for God and had nearly given up, and suddenly, Jesus appears to him and, Mm -hmm. and says, Pascal, Be at peace. You would not be looking for me if you had not already found Mm. me. Mm. Uh, Don't despair. I have shed such drops of blood for you. Could you maybe shed a few tears for me? I thought of you in my agony. Mm. Uh, I have loved you more ardently than you have loved uh, even your sins. Mm. I I like that because Pascal was a pretty ordinary guy. Uh, He was a layman. He wasn't a mystic. He wasn't a friar or a monk. He was a genius, but he was a layman. Uh, and that, I, I think, uh, that really resonates
1: uh, with me. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you, Scott. You know, I'm thinking of uh, your emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit, because that's what prayer is. It's the work mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. And so our openness and our mm-hmm. vulnerability to God is really an openness to receiving the Holy Spirit. The artisan of vulnerability, I think you say. Um, I also am reminded of what... Uh, People would hear when they asked the late great Pope Saint John Paul II, how do you pray? Because his response was almost always, as the Spirit leads. Hmm. You know, and in Romans 8, which we've referenced, you know, we don't know how to pray as we are, especially in agony. You know, we groan and travail, yeah. but then with sighs and moans, too deep for words, the spirit intercedes for us. And it seems to me that's the thread that makes all of these pearls into a necklace that. Whether you're young or old or in between, it's the openness to the Holy Spirit that will take whatever prayers, the devotional prayers, you know, the personal prayer, meditation, contemplation, uh, charismatic prayer, and make it transformative. And we don't have to kind of predict or predetermine what it will be. In fact, we have to be careful not to do that, you know. And... uh, I, I think also the other thing um, that we've referenced a bit, and that is relationships. Uh, I'm thinking of Kimberly, you know. We've been married for 40 years. I, we feel like Israel coming out of the wilderness after <laughs> that period. I mean, the friendship, the, the, the laughter, the playfulness, the prayer, and all of these things, I didn't know couples could have as friends. But, man, did we have to learn from making millions of mistakes. Mm. You know, apologizing, forgiving, you know, God doesn't make mistakes, but we sure think He does, you know? And so, I think that kind of vulnerability has to be what the Holy Spirit beckons from us so that we really can do it individually as well as in our marriages and that sort of thing. But all along, I think what we find is that God wants so much more for us than what we're willing to settle for. Mm.
0: That's beautiful. And Father Boniface, again, thank you so much. Um, Maybe rather than just a final thought, I was thinking, given the topic, what if you led us in prayer? Let us now, and uh, our community who's gathered watching us, maybe you could just lead Mm. us in prayer. I'd love to do that.
2: It's uh, one of the things we say at the beginning of the book, the most important way to learn to pray is by praying. Mm -hmm. And so uh, to conclude our our talking about prayer by calling on the Holy Spirit to come and lead us and recognizing that already our desire for God. And so allowing that desire to well up in our hearts now as we just open our hearts to the Lord. And I just invite all of our, our viewers to open their hearts to the Lord, discover that desire which is greater than the desire for even for water, for food, for life, is a desire for the fullness of life and love that we have in God. Allow that desire to begin welling up. That's the Holy Spirit already at work in our hearts as the Lord draws us into relationship. And i just like to do a little guided Lectio Divina. We reference that passage of the blind beggar And imagine yourself as a blind beggar there on the side of the road and hearing the commotion, so many things happening, being aware of your own poverty. What's your need in this moment? What's the cry of your heart? What do you want more than anything else? Allow that to start rising up in your heart as you hear this movement. And someone says, it's Jesus. Jesus is passing by. Jesus is coming. Allow that movement in your heart to rise up. And cry out, cry out to him, cry out from the depths. Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. Allow that cry to come up. And imagine the commotion stopping, someone pushing you away, but you cry all the louder. Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And then suddenly you hear everything quiet and Jesus comes closer. You sense a presence, a warmth. You can't see him. In your blindness, you can't see him, but you sense him coming closer, so filled with warmth, presence, listening to you. He's really listening to you, attentive to you. He sees you. He draws close to you. Smell him. Feel the presence, the warmth of his presence, and then his words to you. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Allow that Question just to settle into your heart. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is attentive. He's waiting for your answer. What do you want me to do for you? Allow that response to come up from your heart. And Maybe in our own version, we can all give the response of the beggar. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see. And allow Jesus just to touch you as you open your eyes and you behold the face of God. And we can just rest in that presence for a moment. Behold the face of God. A face that is filled with love, eyes that look only with love into yours. And that presence, that vision is something we can carry into the rest of our days. It's a grace to lead you in prayer. And I hope that that grace of contemplation, a loving awareness of God's presence in our
0: humanity, in our need, in our poverty is something that can stay with all our viewers. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. Uh, I love the topic of prayer in many ways for me. If I nail it, what's the central part? It's just being available from prayer, it's Mm. Jesus, I'm making myself available. So we encourage you to do that as well. We're very blessed uh, that Father has allowed uh, part of his book, which will be available to you if you wanna learn more about the topic. We have a free handout from Father Boniface's book. This is yours free, if you simply go online to faithandreason.com or by calling the number you'll see at the screen in just a moment. Again, we just wanna thank you for joining us today and the blessing that it has been asking God's grace and his Holy Spirit to continue to draw us closer to the Lord in prayer to encounter the love of a father. May the Lord bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
1: To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithinreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381 or call 740-283-6357.